This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ross is a terrific player. I gave him his debut at, at Rangers up in Scotland. They played against Porto, we brought him on in a, a Champions League game and we were losing to Porto. Well, maybe Ross actually gave us a lead, I think, and he came on as a as a young, energetic kid and great talent he had and I always felt that um, he, he just needed to get a little fitter and get rid of some of the poppy fat. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's a... Uh called My Old Man. G'day villains, Jedinak here. Do you want to know the secret to promotion? Growing a bloody good beard. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast show. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Front-ending the show in a tribute to Ross McCormack's first ever goal for Aston Villa is an excerpt from an Alex McLeish interview from about two years ago, where as well as discussing giving McCormack his senior debut, also actually recommends that Aston Villa buy the forward as a partner for Christian Benteke. Not a bad idea, Big Ek. On the show, we'll be discussing the game against Huddersfield in which McCormack opened his filler account and also the away trip to Derby where no one actually scored. Since the uh, the last show, Villa have been doing a bit of business, bringing in the Leicester City right-back, Richard Alat, who we've already mentioned on previous shows was always a likely Villa purchase, and also purchasing Crystal Palace's midfield enforcer, Mael Yedinak. We'll be focusing on uh, Yedinak in the show and also visiting Yedinak's jungle. Brace yourself for that bit. We'll also discuss Mr Tony's quest for a Mr World Class up front. And as well as Twitter with Tony, we'll discuss some of the takeaways from the meeting with the doctor himself at the recent fan consultation group. 
which was a good hour's worth of getting to know the new villa owner. Before I introduce the guys, if you want to support the podcast and its continual existence will depend on this, please visit myoldmansaid.com and become a patron. Many thanks in advance and it's much appreciated, especially in the early hours of the night when I'm editing this. So, joining me, as usual, is Dan Rogers from VillaUnderground.com and my old man said writer, Chad Wren. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. So, uh, two draws. Are you glass half empty or glass half full over this week? Still half full at my end. Um, I think we've seen two games of two halves and we've seen progress on the one hand. There's still work to do on the other, but I've seen enough to suggest that we're improving. And Chad? Uh, half empty. I want Roberto Di Matteo out. The Huddersfield goal was shocking. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, exactly what Dan said. The fact that we're creating so many chances. I saw that Ross McCormack said something in the week about uh, when he did an interview about how um, as soon as the four attacking players click, will be lethal, uh, lethal strike force in the championship, which is certainly true. In my opinion. Looking at the Huddersfield and Derby, I mean, the the games kind of replicated each other in uh, certain respects. I mean, the first half. I mean, I was particularly impressed, uh, well, actually both games, uh, by the way that Villa dominated the games, the fight and the efforts and the closing down and the the intensity, and the, the essentially didn't let Derby or Huddersfield, you know, take a breath in the first half. I mean, as, as, you, as you said, it's just what was missing was uh, the killer instinct in both of these games could have been, you know, two or three nil at halftime. Mm, absolutely. I think that, I mean, take the Huddersfield game first of all. I think that they... They they came with a game plan, and I think that they were probably quite pleased to go in at half time, just the one down, and completely seized upon. I think like Derby tried to Villa's fatigue, and uh, I think we, you know, we need to grow, we need to we need to become more clinical, and stamina. Hopefully, we'll come into it when we've got you know we've obviously brought Jednak in there. We, we'll have more faces and more options off the bench to hopefully you know s- see the game through if you like. That's what's definitely missing is those options from the bench. I think that's obvious to everybody. When your bench is uh, 75% defenders, it doesn't really give you much uh, options if you're trying to win a game. I think um, the key word that I take from the two games and the start at the moment is probably luck. We have been very unlucky. If you see the goals have conceded, two mistakes, which are very rare. I know he's a young keeper, but our back line, apart from those two moments, have been pretty solid. So the goals we've conceded have been pretty unlucky and um also in terms of the derby game as well if you look at Gardner strike McCormack's and um Elphick cleared off the line as well if you would have got a better connection that's three points in the bag so hopefully as soon as we start to click we'll have more luck on our side I mean it is a work in progress as well I think that's the thing that you can't forget that this is you know we're frustrated because I think we want to be on full points you know scoring bags of goals but from my point of view, we're doing a lot better than I expected us to be doing. I know that sounds very negative, but we've we spoke about it before. I think in the run-up to the beginning of yeah. the season, it was quite easy to be prophet of doom. I think now you can see figures and people appearing across the team when you think, well, they give us a future. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think initially we were thinking that the actual rebuilding process was was a bit too slow and there wasn't enough faces in place uh, before the season kicked off. Mm-hmm. But I think beyond who is in the actual shirts you know, whatever names, you can actually see what De Matteo is uh, trying to do 
especially in the middle of the park and that kind of intense higher line closing down. Mm. And you, you can see it's in place, you, and, but you can also at the same time see where new faces would actually slot in to kind of finish off what he's, well, the plan that he's trying to execute here. It's not, not as if like the last couple of seasons where there is no real kind of structure or plan or ethos to what they're doing. You can see all we need is Yedenak to get in there Maybe another option at right back, and then a bit more dimension, a uh, couple of forwards, either on you know one on the wing and one one up front, just to give us a bit of variety up front and to freshen it up in the sec- you know latter half of the game. Let's say the um the Huddersfield game sort of epitomised our need for Yednak in the middle. If you looked at the final half an hour and going on, I was biting my nails completely, and probably the rest of the Villa fans were, mm. due to the fact that if you looked at the bench, there was. Gardner was on the bench and he came on, but you never would feel that he would seal the game out. And every single player looked knackered, and you just wanted yeah. someone in that middle, that leader, sort of rally everyone up. And we kept giving them the ball back as well. We kept giving them the ball back. You wanted someone to retain it there and use a bit of strength. We didn't have anyone. Yeah. Salut. This is Remy Gard, my Aston Villa chums. I ask of you only this. Oui, Jordan Verretou. Jordan, where are you? I felt for Galini a, a little bit, really, because he'd what's been lost in in the error that he made that obviously led to the to the goal was he, he made two really quite smart saves in that game. Yeah, he yeah. did. He did. But that is his job. Well, absolutely, that is his job, and, and it, the, the clangers are clanger. And um, I mean, they brought the German German guy onto the field who came on like some sort of I don't know um, wild beast, like he was from Sparta, you know. To you know, and I mean, he, as soon as he came on, he he whipped up the crowd. That was the first thing he did. For his first touch in English football, he scored with his buttocks. With his buttocks, and then he was he turned into a lion. <laughs> With his clawy roar, but I would say so that that goal. I mean, if it had gone come any other way, it wouldn't have surprised you because we'd been under pressure for twenty twenty five minutes, and it was one of those. I don't think it really mattered how it went in. I know it went, how it went in was stupid, but it just felt like a goal was coming. Yeah, like you saw the free kick as well hit the post. You just yeah. you knew you knew something Absolutely. was coming. Absolutely. Sorry, what's the German guy's name? The the Huddersfield player, uh, Michael Michael Heffler. Heffler, yeah. I mean, he was kind of an example of what we needed at that point. Somebody to, uh, whether it's a forward or somebody to give us a bit more uh, bite uh, at the back. But he came on very visible. I mean, he literally came onto the pitch waving his arms, didn't he? You know, you couldn't have a think, oh my God, there's there's a... I thought he was an established, well-known, you know, almost like a talisman for them, but he's he's completely brand new. (laughs) Some legend. He pr- pretty much did what uh, Doc Tony did the week before. I do agree with what you said, though, about how we needed something like that because the atmosphere went flat and that game was definitely... You could see how much an effect the fans went. Huddersfield fans started going absolutely balmy and then they yeah. controlled the game. Like um, Villa Park went very quiet. It felt like last season for a few minutes, didn't it, where there was yeah. this sense of inevitability where, like you say, that they were so unlucky with the free kick that came off the inside of the post whilst everyone was hiding behind yeah. their seats. <laughs> And then they had a couple of opportunities that, that uh, Galini dealt with, but it was coming, wasn't it? 
let's make no mistake, Huddersfield are a decent team. I mean, they're very, very well organised and they had some pretty nifty players and I can see them easily being, you know, challenging for the playoffs. I mean, they're top now, which doesn't really mean much in the, the scheme of things, but they just look really organised, you know, exactly what they're doing and they seem to have a few players, even the ones that haven't even kicked a ball yet, could just come off the bench and score. Well, they've also got the player from who we met previously, didn't we? The Bradford strike. Naki Wells. And the fact that he had him on the bench as well tells a lot, considering yeah. how many goals he scored last season. No, exactly. I mean, you were in the lower north next to the away fans. What were they like? Because they seemed to be pretty balmy. They were very good. Very um, a massive contrast to Rotherham fans. Sorry to Rotherham fans, but yeah, they, they went absolutely mental when the goal went in. Ross McCormack got off the mark in that game. Yeah, not before time. <laughs> you know, his average, his average <laughs> is suffering. It um, is. Pretty straightforward header, really. Um, still still like him. I think he brings a lot to our team. And I think it will be as much assists as goals, really, with him. But, yeah. you know, and I think when, when they start to come, I think McCormack will be the difference about difference between the games where, like Derby, really, I think he'll be that player who scores that goal, who makes a 0-0 a 1-0 mm. or creates the goal. We spoke about it before, though, as well, about how he just takes chances to shoot from long range. He did yeah. against Derby as well, where he just fired one and Carson had to pull out some world-class save. But yeah, that that is nice to see that someone just has their uh, eye on goal straight away and he's very accurate with his finishing. Rudy obviously uh, went off with a hamstring against um, Derby, but if, if he's not fit, who who, who would you play uh, against Bristol? Because, I mean, Kozak had the old undesirable thing of being a sub that got subbed. Do you know, mm. do you know what I'd actually... Do you know what I'd actually go for here? I'd probably put um, Ayu and McCormack up front and then Grealish in behind them and bring yeah, in a winger, like either at Marvy or Green. Because for me, even though it was Kozak's first game in a long month, and you cannot judge him on that, but he yeah. just looked very leggy. And it was almost as if he was brought in simply to replace the position of Adama because we knew that Adama doesn't want to play for the football club anymore. Mm, that's a very good point. He hasn't even been making the bench, has he? And I think he was playing. He played midweek for the under twenty threes as well. So, yeah, because I mean, he has been in pre season, so he hasn't. Mm. It's not as if he's been sitting out. Yeah. And the one thing that he does offer as well is is height. But he, we can, you could certainly see that he lacked the early ability that Gusted brings to the team, where he, he didn't win hardly any headers when he came on. Kozak's game is all about, he's very much like the, the old old school uh, number nine, in, well, English number nine, not known for uh, speed or technical ability, more being brave and fighting for everything, but he just seemed to be off the pace. Well, he was probably our, he was our only, he was the next logical option, wasn't he? And this is a guy who's, who's I don't think, ever properly recovered or had a run of games to get Matt Sharp since a horrendous in, you know, training ground yeah. injury where where Kieran Clark kindly snapped him in half. Um, it's I forgot about that. Well, you know, and <laughs> this was a guy who, he went, of course, when we had Benteke, he was, he was never the logical partner for him either. So, and he appears today, and he's probably the closest physical build to to Gested, but his his game is different, so different. And I think this is this underlines this need for the for another striker. I mean, we yeah. look incredibly light there, and I think Gested being injured. You know, you could think of any one of our available strikers being injured. There is no other person. There is no other logical threat that we can bring off on, on yeah. the bench. Or... So we need a bit of pace up front as well. I think that's what we lack. We do lack guy. pace, I think. I mean, on the flip side of the Villa team, I think uh, against Derby especially, uh, I'm starting to get the feeling that the defence is pretty sound and I, and I didn't worry about conceding a goal. Half-time, I thought, oh, this this has got the looks of a nil-nil all over it. 
It's a very good point, though. That links into how I think we... Which is progress. <laughs> it's yeah. progress, and I think the opposition are quite happy for us to have a go at them as well, and I think that uh, they will. when we come up against better teams, um, you know, with respect to Derby, I think that, that they will test us more over 90 minutes than a 20-30 minute spell where our, our stamina starts to, to ebb away. But Derby are one of the better teams in the league. They Well, they have been over the last couple of seasons. With all due respect to you, Dan. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not so sure. I, I look at them and... Well, they go in the playoff finals and then in the semis uh, over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I think that the way that... It's, there's an interesting shift, isn't there, at the moment with the championship, with investments and with with almost a... I think we'll see, as we've spoken before, like a six or eight grouping of teams who will become the logical strong teams and then I think I do think Derby will fall into that mix of teams where anyone could beat anyone come the end well uh, if you look at the league now uh, even after four games there's no 100% teams no nope, that's true and uh, it's already proving itself as you just said Any anybody has mm-hmm. you know essentially got a chance against anybody I mean it's always been a cliche it wasn't as uh, clear cut I mean although Leicester was a, an exception to the rule but it's not as clear cut as the Premiership if you like I think as Huddersfield will probably show if you can get your act together you can easily threaten in this league it's all about organisation for me, I think. Yeah, and stamina as well, because Brighton in recent seasons have been, they've always started very brightly and, and looked really good and either have lacked one or two players or have just kind of faded at the end. This is where squad depth will be so important for us because stamina is one thing, but it's also about being able to pull off, you know, like when, when Tish Bowler um, tired badly at Huddersfield to yeah. be able to bring on, for argument's sake, a Jedinak. It's that quality as well. It's not. It's not a tush bowler for a gardener where there's still question marks. It's proven solid. Yeah. Well, there's a brilliant point about squad depth as well, where it comes to January, where um, like uh, it's been mentioned before on Marlman said, where the Africa Cup of Nations will come around and we'll have the locks of IU and Gested moving on. And without Gested, then who who will we have up front? That's what we need a lot of depth in the in terms of attacking. Yeah, it's a good point actually. I think that's probably why there is such a focus on. Uh getting more forwards in because both Garner and Benin will qualify. And I think we're talking, I think it's four to six games as well. well that's a scary thought straight away. If we have the squad we have now and those two players are gone, yeah. either McCormack upon his own or Kozak comes in. So yeah, Tony, if you're listening, uh, mm-hmm. African, Nation, African Nations Cup, mate. You need to buy it and shut it down, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One win, two draws and a defeat. I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, people are impatient now, especially the Twitterati, but uh, I mean, I was looking at uh, our first four games for the last three times we came second in the league, and one of those includes the promotion year of uh, 1987 to 88, and the other one being 1992 to 93, which was under big Ron Atkinson, and then the other one was 1989 to 90 under Graham Taylor when we finished second to Liverpool. And this start we've made this season is better than any of those three uh, second-place finish starts because we didn't actually win a game in those three seasons in the first four games. The most we we had was three points, so five points, although uh, not great, because there's been enough on that pitch to suggest Villa have, have got a framework and have got a they've got a plan. Then it's uh, we shouldn't be too disheartened. And I, I think you know the next few weeks it should get pretty interesting once Yedinak's in and we're up and running. Well, to still be a work in progress and to be able to pick up points, I think is a positive for me because um, even if we lose a game, you know that the signings around the corner and. 
that eventually we will start kicking on. Yeah, I mean, I think they're essentially these first few games. They're, it's almost like uh, extended preseason, yeah. just getting getting your act together. Welcome to Jet and Axe Jungle. I've just arrived at Villa Park in the heart of the concrete jungle. There's reports of a real live bakuna. He's a beauty with two left feet. And there, a wild westward. Oh, look at him. He moves like a crabber. What a beauty. Come on, little fella. Side to side now. Oh, wow. Look at this. A real treat. A strange and elusive gabby. A lazy, sloth-like creature. But you, you watch him move if I wave this wand at him. A real ripper. Oh, crikey. Oh, now a leech-like critter. Bleeding the local resources dry. It can only be one thing. It's an exogbia. Struth. In terms of Yedinak, uh, I was uh, I was speaking to a Crystal Palace uh, website. Uh, they actually asked me to uh, give some input on Christian Benteke and uh, basically wanted me to say he's great, so they uh, didn't break out in a rash that they've just <laughs> s- spent almost thirty million on somebody who uh, bombed at Liverpool. But uh, <laughs> while we were talking, I asked them uh, what they you know what they thought of Yedinak, and I mean they pretty much said what I expected. You know, he's a bearded leader of men. He's hardworking, battling compliments the kind of skillful players in the team he said don't expect any like killer passes but he'll win the ball and lay it off and uh, also chip in with the odd goal I think he's mainly through headers although he has scored a few uh, pretty nifty free kicks as well so yeah. there's that that kind of extra option on dead balls I mean what's what did you think when we got him because it sounds like Di Matteo was after him early doors it's like having a really good Brett Holman in the team isn't it it's <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I, I, at the end of the Huddersfield game, he's the logical player that we we needed to have in either on the pitch or to be able to bring on. All the things you know, I haven't seen so much of him, but um, he he's, he seems like a winner. He's a battler. Um, and I, it's always reassuring. He's an Aussie battler, mate. It's yeah. always reassuring when position fans are you know they're, they're not upset. I was going to say that we're upset to see him leave, but same with with Alfic, where opposition fans say things that. Mate, yeah. Think, oh God, we're not getting a we're not getting a prick here. We're getting a really you know hardworking, honest mm. footballer. We need we need yeah. as many of them in the squad as we can get because yeah. we had none of that last season. More than welcome. It's I mean, it's quite interesting him and Elphick who will be the captain. I mean, obviously uh, Elphick's been uh, probably has that signed, sealed, and delivered. But mm. if I had to choose, I, I would uh, I would let Tommy keep it just based on what he's done so far. Yeah, I always like a captain in the middle of the park, but. No, from what Elphick's shown us so far, the way he's G'd up the fans and already smashing Stephen Fletcher on the first game <laughs> and uh, getting blood on, his, getting blood all over his head and his face and improving Stephen Fletcher's looks. Yeah, he's um already showed enough for me that he has passion for. Yeah, I, I'd leave it as is for now. I think Elphick's clearly got enough mental about him that um, appeals nicely for for captain material and. I think just get Jedinak in there doing all the things he's been doing. The other thing not to forget is McCormack was captain as well at uh, yeah, Fulham. yeah, yeah. So we're starting. There's a bit of a leader agenda here, which is again fine by me. I wouldn't. I don't care how many people are vying for this because more leaders on the pitch. I don't think it's even a case of too many cooks. It's these are the types of personalities we just haven't had. 
we joked about Paddy Riley's um, transfer method of buying as many uh, captains as he possibly could. That was my suggestion. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was a good one. It looks yeah. like the game for it. It's come off. Paddy, are you there, Paddy? <laughs> <laughs> Just Paddy, look at the team sheets, Paddy, and and the ones the players that got that little C next to their name. Just buy him, buy him. Yeah. So uh, what else do we need? I mean, the old the good doctor has been quite cryptic, but he he seems to suggest in recent tweets that this could go down to the wire, and it looks like somebody is playing hardball, or maybe even more than one club are playing hardball over certain players. So it looks like it's going to uh, be a bit of a test of metal down to the last day or two of the transfer window. Do you think? One or two is enough, or do you think it's more three or four we need? Say two or three for me. You know, the news of Adama Traore, who we thought was alive again and we thought was going to add another weapon to uh, De Mateo's arsenal in terms of going forward, is uh, is suddenly flaked out. Which is interesting that he said he didn't want to play for Aston Villa anymore after he played for Aston Villa for the first time for a long time, (laughs) which was a bit odd because you thought, well, he's he's back now and hopefully he'll, he'll get a clean run now. So something obviously went down there. Yeah. Adama's a really puzzling one because, like you say, he came he came back from the dead last week, which was the resurrection was welcome. And then clearly, you know, I, I wonder with with the transfer window and the way it is, there's so much at play, and it's like chess, isn't it? One player needs to move in order to facilitate another player moving. I don't, uh, yeah, but I don't think he has to move. I just think as a player, he's probably got a fairly bad attitude as a youngster coming from such a prestigious club. He probably thinks he's an elite player when he's so raw, and he hasn't shown enough to um. Di Matteo either, so... The word from the club, from various people, the word on the Villa Street, people were actually quite surprised when they saw him at Bodymore Heath and kind of what a headless chicken he was in terms of awareness and passing and, you know, all the other things that are meant to be in your locker as a football player. But apparently it was quite shocking, as in they were, you know, genuinely surprised since he was from Barcelona. If you were to put Adama Traore as a winger in rugby, would he look out of place? We just sprint on the wing with the ball, score a try. So he just fits into any sort of sport because he's got that build and that absolute speed. So. Well, he's an athlete more than a footballer, I think, is the point that yeah. you're making. And that's that's spot on, actually. It's a shame, but is anybody going to miss him? Well, he hasn't actually done anything apart from a couple of crosses and a deflected goal coming off the bench. Everyone's replaceable and... I don't think he'll be missed massively unless he you know, suddenly becomes a world-class attacking midfielder, which inevitably will happen. Of course, of course. But he's shown very little. He's been very, very raw. You know, you mentioned the stuff that the club have, have spotted at Bodymore Heath. And, you know, like he got a, his first opportunity in months and months and months and then the next day slams in a transfer request. Well, got it. we need loyalty, we need commitment. We're talking about leaders. Leaders don't bugger off at the first, the first sign of a bit of a job being on. Yeah, well, I'm just going to use an excuse for him. Just say he's probably not suited to the league either. What English league championship? English league as a whole, English football. It's Given his injury better. proneness as well. You saw that when you were looking at all these show reels in Spain, it was only because of the atrocious defending and all the um, spacing behind the defenders as well that he could exploit. Yeah, no, that is true. I mean, and a lot of the footage is from like Spanish under twenty one games, yeah. and you're not talking about the best defenders in the world there. Yeah. Speaking of people left the club, I mean, it's water under the bridge, but what do you think about Benteke going to Palace? Because obviously we would view Palace as a smaller club than Villa, and here we are. Does this basically sum up the reality of our predicament at the moment? It's a, uh, it's an emotional one. <laughs> Can we not talk about it? <laughs> Did he start to well up there? Yeah, he will be firing for Palace because he is a brilliant player, but mm, does, it is very real. 
I, th- I think they. I mean, they have a team to support. They should have probably kept Gale if they knew they were going to get Benteke. The mistakes we've made as well is very real. The fact that we never took the opportunity to try and keep him for longer is. I can't remember how many articles I wrote about squandering the chance. I mean, this is where we had him of actually, look, we should realise what we've got here and build a team around him because uh, if we had him a few seasons ago when we had Milner, Ashley Young, Downing, did we have anybody else good? (laughs) 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 Steve Sidwell? Nicky Shorey? (laughs) Stephen Warnock? Habib Bay? But no, I mean, for, for example, Benteke, if we had him uh, a few seasons earlier when we were finishing sixth and we had Mil- Milner, Ashley Young, Stuart Downing supplying him, then I think we'd have got in the Champions League if he hit 20 goals, no problem. So that was a shame. I think Palace would do all right. Liverpool, I don't know what the hell they were doing there because, you know, for example, uh, they had him against Burnley. Uh, it might have been a bit of a difference. A team that has 19% of possession and beats you 2-0, you've obviously got a striking problem. For me, if I was a Palace fan, I'd be rubbing my hands together because, in my opinion, he is on the brink of being world-class. If he gets his head right and his confidence, he's a massive confidence player. Like we yeah. saw coming back from injuries, a few of the fans would be getting on his back in the second season. He scored that goal against Arsenal and he just boosted him. He always scored, seen score. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. What a flurry of goals in the latter end of the season. He yeah. built his confidence up and then do it. When, he's not, when he's not injured. Yeah, for instance. <laughs> and also, uh, a great example of that as well is the fact that he probably scored the best goal I've ever seen at Villa Park, at my end as well, at the North End, where he scored the uh, overhead kick against um, Norwich, where Basong was even punching him in the head. And he still managed to take it on his chest and oh, yeah. hit top corner. So Dan, yeah, Dan, yeah. last week you were you were talking about you were surprised uh, so far that uh, Doctor Tony hadn't actually got in a, a marquee signing to whet the appetite and you know obviously help ticket sales as well. Would you have considered Yedinak that marquee signing because he it seems that we're going to get a, a world class striker in? But just before we we talk about that, would you consider uh, Yedinak a marquee signing? No, uh, I think he's a, the right and the right type of signing. I think he's the right type of type of player who we should be buying. Um, I don't know whether it's maybe our expectations are tempered by the fact that I suppose the old regime we'd have been excited by just a marquee in front of the whole tent <laughs> rather than just a marquee signing. Really, that I, I, I uh, you know, I'm really happy with Jedinak, and I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to. Play down his signing by by suggesting it's just because he wasn't a, a big big name that yeah. I wasn't bothered by that. I'm not so fussed about names particularly, but no, 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 I mean he, he's a logical fit to 
what uh, De Matteo is trying to put together here. Absolutely. I do think we need another striker, but I think if we could pluck someone out of out of um, the ether and, uh, you know, you could offer 10, 15 goals, but, you know, look at how Gestead got injured at the weekend and we were scraping around with Kozak for it as an option. Wouldn't it be great to have a name to galvanise you know, to have that player running onto the pitch thinking, and that's the opposition thinking straight away. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of world class, do you think that's dangerous to rise, uh, raise expectations? I mean, probably by the time uh, some of the listeners will be listening to this podcast, they'll know exactly uh, who Mr. World Class is. Do you think he will be world class or do you just think he'll be somebody pretty good? As in, as in an older player who, who has a, a rep or uh, a younger player who's going places? I've seen and heard a lot of fans talking about Abel Hernandez as a world-class sort of player in our position, but that's that'd be absolutely ridiculous to consider that he is that sort of calibre. I, I rate Benteke more, uh, above him. Yeah, I do too. But he followed up a tweet after as well. Someone replied to him saying, world-class isn't going to be a youngster on loan or a championship striker. And um, yeah. he put something like, you know my dictionary. So, I don't know, it's, I've seen many names shouted out, like Remer as well, because he's not really playing any games at the moment, but it's, it's definitely exciting. Does he even play football anymore? <laughs> I don't think so. I think he's living in Zogby at time, isn't it? Because <laughs> he's always mentioned uh, almost every season as uh, somebody that, you know, numerous clubs are chasing yeah. but uh, he, he seems to once that window slams shut you never hear about Remy again it's it's only in transfer windows that he makes an appearance yeah, sure. <laughs> uh so we'll we'll see what happens with mr world class he's definitely signed now it's time for twitter with tony august 14th Nobody can steal if he's delighted to be with us. Also, you can't keep him if his heart was not with us. August 16. Toby's happy with his new shirt. I told him to forget the negative things and be a good man. August 17. As I talked to the team the other day, I don't think people with talent can succeed without hard working, team spirit and commitment. August 20th. No. Lescott didn't feel happy with personal term. Missed which boss promised. Adiam and I are men clear with words. August 20th. Study math harder. Already six ins. Two more will be eight. We hope we can achieve more. No more morning. August 20th. Sorry guys. We're working very hard. It's not like grabbing things from grocery store. August 21st. Did you steal my dictionary? Finally, uh, we, I got to uh, meet the man behind uh, the Twitter account last week, actually just before the Huddersfield game, uh, in the fans consultation meeting. Uh, and uh, no, he, he's pretty much exactly like his uh, Twitter account. I mean, he's, he's kind of quite straightforward. He told, I asked him about uh, what he'd actually told the first team when he uh, gathered them round at Bodymore Heath for a kind of an inspirational uh, pep talk. He explained there's four types of players, but he said the first ones are kind of uh, the negative kind of loser types. Uh, without naming names, oh. and then he then he said uh, <laughs> the second people. I think it was like the the grafters, the people who work hard without talent. 
and the third lot are the people with talents who uh, are kind of young and looking for uh, leadership, essentially. And, and the fourth group were leaders. Uh, and he, he went on to say, like, the fourth group were essentially the type of players they were trying to bring into the club. And they were that was like front and center of the transfer policy so far. And he said Jack Grealish uh, perhaps was uh, looking towards group one in terms of his inspiration rather than looking towards group four. And he actually named the types of players that uh, had been misleading Jack but that was off the record. <laughs> so, but no, quite funny. I mean, you don't, you know, it's not too hard to guess who he was talking about because uh, he's pretty much berated those people in his tweets. If you, I think that definitely correct. If you see the top of a uh, Plas Di Matteo's or at least like surrounded the squad, it's sort of number twos and number fours, isn't it? Completely. And this is something that has been impressive. I mean, whatever you think about uh, the takeover, whatever whether they have any money or not, uh, whatever their kind of goal is, uh, whatever the infrastructure is, so far it's, it's impressed me more just from what they're doing rather than words and assumptions and uh, what it is. The actual practicality of what they're actually doing and what we can visibly see them doing is actually more impressive than perhaps we first thought it could be. One of the main uh, things that uh, seemed to come out of the meeting was this. I asked them about the uh, this 12 acres of land that Aston Villa own uh, close by. I think there was a lot of talk initially when uh, the Recon Group uh, were buying Villa that they were looking to do a theme park, which uh, is is a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a fallacy. I mean, he's more interested in like smart cities, and if anything, it's going to be more of like a leisure and residential development of Aston to kind of because uh, Aston I mean let's face it it's not the most shiny place and it's not the most inviting place to visiting fans and our own fans uh, to come to so to create more of a kind of infrastructure w- within a, the area around Villa Park so people can have a better match day uh, experience I don't like to use match day experience but uh, mm. that's essentially what it is so it's not so football related it's more of the actual infrastructure of the whole kind of area so with that in mind then, did they discuss any of the ins and outs of that? Because I, I know the theme park quote was picked up on, but, you know, stuff like the North Stand, was was that mentioned? Well, or? I asked him about the North Stand and what would have to take place first for, because they have the plans, I mean, they had the plans under Lerner and Faulkner for the redevelopment of uh, Villa Park. And I think redeveloping the North Stand would turn it into a 50,000 stadium. Mm-hmm. And when you consider West Ham got 56,000, in their first game at their new stadium, it shows you how we're kind of falling behind in terms of our potential. Uh, I mean, we've closed one of the you know the upper tier of the the Trinity, and although we're excited about getting thirty five, the upshot is uh, West Ham, who we would never consider as you know on the same kind of size as uh, Villa, got twenty thousand more than that, over twenty thousand more than what we got against Huddersfield and uh, Rotherham. But uh, there was a hesitation in answering it and it kind of went back to uh, putting an emphasis on the overall area. So he said that it would be linked into that as opposed to uh, just doing the stand per se. So I don't know what that, that, what that meant, if there would be anything latched on to uh, the north stand, if there would be any, you know, sometimes there's some kind of hotels involved or, you know, supermarkets or, or whatever. So there may be something added to that, which may be needed first to kind of spark that redevelopment. But I, I've got a feeling it, it just won't be a straightforward, oh, we're going to redevelop the North Stand uh, and make it bigger. 
Before he actually came in, a couple of uh, points on the agenda were uh, initially, I mean, the question reads, uh, with conflicting reports during the takeover and with that in any way expecting to breach any individual's privacy, what kind of funding is there now for Aston Villa? That refers to, in part, I think there was a uh, there was an article in the Daily Mail where it was kind of a, creating a scandal where they said actually uh, the the owners or the the recon group don't have the funds to buy Aston Villa, and there was this kind of temporary. Uh, I don't know if it was just there for clickbait, but apparently, according to Keith Wyness, that was there because uh, a competitor who were bidding for Aston Villa had fed that to the Daily Mail just to discredit them and try oh, to yeah. uh i don't know get some competitive edge in in some way so that, that was quite interesting i mean obviously uh he's not going to sit there and say no we haven't got any money but <laughs> you know we thought we'd do it for a laugh <laughs> and you know when when they go through the fit and proper they have to justify the next two seasons all the plans they've been making are that they will get promotion if not this season next season uh, then we had another, the, the second question after this, this was the first two questions were before Tony actually uh, came into the room. The second question was a clarification of the board structure, because as you would have seen doing the rounds on social media, people looking at the company house reports have seen like Keith Wyness's name come off and on um, as a director of uh, the club and also of Recon Sports. And that was uh, Apparently, he couldn't be a director in two places, so he had to be withdrawn from one and then put back on. It was just a kind of an administrative thing. They just clarified the Aston Villa board was simply uh, Dr. Tony, the owner and chairman, Keith Weiner's CEO, and then the director, Tracy Gu, who is uh, one of Tony's partners uh, in China, who's essentially going to revamp and give a proper structure in terms of human resources but of course, you know, we, we'll see see what happens when it happens. But it's more of a behind-the-scenes role that she will have in terms of making the club actually a bit more dynamic. Well, that's good to hear. And uh, the new IT manager is going to sort out all of the kind of concerns about uh, the online booking problems and the phone lines constantly being engaged and all, all the kind of in- infrastructure and systems are going to be upgraded. We've seen improvements already as well, haven't we? Seen improvements already in terms of um, how you can buy tickets online before it is all sorts of palaver and it's been structured much easier now. Yeah, no, I think there's still concerns. I mean, from the away ticket uh, meetings that I've had, that is the main gripes that come up mm. are getting tickets is still a real pain and that's something that's uh, it's kind of a work in progress. I mean, how did we get to the stage as a football club where we couldn't even manage to sell tickets to our own fans? Yeah. Another interesting thing, we asked about the technical director, who uh, they didn't name name names, obviously, as, as it's been uh, said in the press. Uh, he's waiting for his contract to uh, finish on August the 31st. But essentially, he's going to get together with uh, Wyness and Tony and uh, Di Matteo to essentially lay down the fundamental ethos of the club. So what's this then? They were talking about that in terms of its style of play and everything. So there's like a continual line through. So it doesn't matter whatever manager is there, there will still be this structure mm-hmm. ethos. It's a little bit, I think I mentioned on the, on the website, it's a bit like Southampton and how Swansea have kind of done it over the years. Well, you see whenever any manager comes into Southampton, so they just adapt straight away. Don't they? yeah. They're all clued up. I think it's interesting we should go for a continental manager as well that, you know, Di Matteo probably wouldn't be phased at all by that sort of setup. But I thought, thinking of Chelsea's setup as well, they would have a similar thing. If you look at our management options when we were looking at Pearson, would, that probably would have caused the problem with a manager like him. I think what Chad might be alluding to is this idea that I would probably put, maybe maybe stereotypically put 
Pearson into the the uh, a box of managers who I think would want complete control over purchases. Yeah. Whereas I think that Di Matteo, I I don't know, I don't know what lends me to think this necessarily, but I, I think he would he would have some confidence and understanding of a structure that perhaps put players in front of him. This is the issue that Sherwood had originally, wasn't yeah. it? That he was quite happy to stand and hold hold the shirt with a new signing, but when the shit hit the fan, he was very quick to say, "Well, they weren't." Yeah, I mean, signings. it's interesting. Uh, earlier on in the month, uh, the Fulham boss, the uh, Yakanovic actually just basically outed uh, the structure there and said yeah. there was a guy there who essentially hasn't really met yet who is responsible for the signings. And uh, it sounds like it's almost 100% uh, concentrated Moneyball style there. Well, that's worked well for us, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, Fulham are doing all right at the moment, but if you've got a manager who's been outspoken already after four games, uh, it might, if you know anything goes wrong at that club, it will. there's, there's already... Uh, Plenty of reasons for it to kick off. It is a strange system, though, isn't it? Where you think that you've got, you know, you've got the, the fall guy is always the, the head coach or the manager, isn't it? Really, and it's interesting. You know, you think about you know your own job or, or what you do that you've got complete control, haven't you? Over yeah. you can determine largely your own outcome. Because I asked Wyness, is it you know, is it a case of because he talked about they will establish a style as well for how the club play, which. I mean, there are, there is, there are identities uh, like you, you know how Swansea play because that's how they've that's the ethos they've instilled into uh, you know the whole club and that uh, that actual style won't be established until uh, obviously the the guy comes in and they all sit down and kind of uh, bash it out. Progress. So yeah, so no, it's, it was quite interesting uh, in terms of. Uh, I mean, the fact that we're having these meetings is you've got to finally take your hat off to the club because before, I mean, this is proper fan consultation. It is a constructive effort to actually put supporters in the loop and, uh, you know, increase the transparency, which obviously Tony's been all about. Well, irrelevant of what you think of, of, uh, of Tony's Twitter account and what he's putting out there. He's putting out there information that we've never been privy to for definitely not under Lerner, certainly not under Ellis. I don't think hardly any clubs have been, to be fair. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely, and I think it, it's, we've said before, it's a breath of fresh air in, in some respects. And it's interesting that you should, you know, the information that you give around the, the fan consultation stuff, because it's very transparent, and you, you said that word before. Yeah. It's telling us things that ordinarily we would be completely oblivious to, and it's it's showing us the stuff that's running parallel to the on-the-field things, which is it's very new. But it's also reassuring in the sense that he's not just a guy who's coming in and going, right, here's six signings, get on and get yeah, us promoted. Yeah. There's... There's actually deep-rooted structural and organisational problems at Villa that need, need to be addressed. It's almost like they're giving us compensation for what happened before. <laughs> it's 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 not rocket science. If you give the fans some sort of input and involvement, they're gonna they're not gonna be as quick to turn on the club when times get badly because they'll feel invested in it more. Then they'll feel like this is all of our project. It's interesting because don't forget that our expectations were so low at the beginning of the season that. Just, just trying was acceptable, and and that's that's where we've come from in a matter of weeks. Where you know we, we had a football team who we used to turn up week in week out last season, and and frankly, I mean, I got to the point where I, I didn't I didn't care about any of the figures who were running onto the no, pitch. I didn't. You know, I wasn't, I, you'd sell a lot of them. You know, no one cared for them, and we're now in a position where I look at the captain and I think, do you know, what? He'll, he'll run through brick walls for this football club if if needs be. We're a hundred miles away from where we were. Again, I think a lot of that's to do with, to do with the yeah. new owner. Um, I don't always buy into this. Oh, we've got a new ethos. We've got a, uh, but but he seems to be just single-mindedly tearing up the rule book on the one hand with his social media stuff, but also he seems to be really diligently getting on with stuff behind the scenes as well. I mean, the fact that he turned up at the meeting is huge as well. 
I mean, one one thing uh, which I mean, I've personally been campaigning for on a on a different level is to have some kind of uh, they call it other clubs uh, SLO uh, supporter liaison officer Twitter address aimed at uh, you know the mundane issues of being a supporter and when things go wrong, whether it's ticketing or the toilet queue or uh, bring back pucker pies or whatever. Which some certain faction of fans have been getting a bit uh, a bit frustrated that fans were just kind of sending and directing all these kind of what they would regard mundane issues to Dr. Tony's Twitter address, which obviously uh, takes up a lot of time. He was kind enough to answer them as well. Yeah, <laughs> even though he was kind of answering a few of them. So uh, Keith Wynas confirmed that they would be doing uh, they would be doing a separate standalone Twitter address uh, alongside the official account. I think that's another another example of how you know we were under this illusion. I think under Tom Fox and, and Lerner to a degree that we were this we were advancing as a football club behind the scenes. We were <laughs> progressing. We, we didn't have to have the basics in place, did we? You know, when you actually think about it, it was it was almost it was prehistoric. Tom Fox was preaching we were five years behind, which I completely agreed. But he was there long enough to put these basic things in. I mean, Doctor Tony's been there weeks, and uh, there's a complete revamp happening. The thing is, as well, what many fans probably would have worried about before he uh, was coming in is that he would have um, completely changed the identity of the club or tried to tamper with the audience. A lot when we saw about him renaming stands and things like that. But he hasn't been trying to do with that. All he's all he do, doing is just adding to it and improving on it and bringing us up to date. The only thing he's changed and added is a, is a Chinese flag on the top of Villa Park <laughs> at the moment. Not the most discreet action. Yeah, but but what I'm moving <laughs> Yeah, moving on. I mean, what, what, what? Don't forget, we were a, <laughs> we were a club with no identity when he arrived, and that this is this doesn't sit well with any of us. But you know, we like to talk, remind our neighbours and, and whoever we can find, and and, and <laughs> point towards the history books that we won a European Cup and all that fantastic history. Well, n- newsflash: we all know, you know, you only had to open up a newspaper last season. We were a laughing stock, yeah. and that's it. That's a big, uh, you know, goodwill is hard earned, easily eroded, and all that malarkey. This guy is, I think probably come in and after five minutes realised he's got a massive job on it and he's been on a huge I don't like we've tried to avoid saying I think PR because he does seem naturally quite yeah. positive in his, in his but he's on a huge PR push and he won't have a bad thing said about the Villa and it's interesting with the the, the rebuttal from Rangers about the Lescott move that's fell through he's adamant that you know this is a, this is what's happened this yeah. is the truth I'm a man of my word um, what more visible space to do it in than social media? So yeah, no. So the upshot is, uh, I think he's he's making all the right noises and making all the right steps at the moment. Definitely. So meanwhile, in the rest of the championship, let's just highlight a, f- a few uh, interesting things that, that happened. Uh, I mean, one uh, one thing quickly that we kind of missed out that I, I knew he was at Huddersfield, but I didn't register it. The game was that ex-villain Jonathan Hogg uh, was actually playing. And at mm. the weekend, he actually came on as a sub and uh, scored their winner in, uh, I think it was the second minute into injury time. I think that was his first goal for the club in like 80 odd appearances mm-hmm. but I remember watching his debut uh, for Villa against uh, Manchester United in the 2-2 draw under who yeah, yeah. I remember that game it was a cracking finish as well when, when I watched it on the highlights but um, yeah we can go back onto the youngsters that have moved on like Callum Robinson as well that yeah, we... could have been and that's another problem it seemed, yeah the champ- championship seems to be a bit of a uh, Villa Academy graveyard <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it is actually <laughs> Clark, Bannon, Jonathan Hark, <laughs> Robinson, Grealish, <laughs> <laughs> Baker. <laughs> 
So what else happened in the championship this weekend? Well, the, the Wolves did a thunderclap after they uh, beat the Blues 3-1 at St Andrews. Uh, I suppose they had some justification because uh, their Icelandic player scored the third goal. But what, what do you think about the whole thunderclap? Immediate docking of points. <laughs> yeah. It should be. It's a humiliation that they brought on themselves, and they should be demoted to the outer Wolverhampton League. Yeah, but that would mean redistributing those points to the Blues. True. Mm. In which case, that those points can be reinstated. I'm pleased to announce. Uh, and and uh, another thing that happened was uh, Fulham. Is it Ryan Session scored, and he was born in the year 2000, which makes me uh, feel like my grave is waiting around the corner. <laughs> but I mean that's that's astonishing. Uh, I mean even Chad, who's uh, how old are you, Chad? Like thirteen? I mean he, he, he's, he's he's even he's even young, he's, he's even younger than you. But uh, no, he's true. He's pretty. He's pretty crazy. I remember um, thinking uh, against when Sherwood was in charge and uh, Russian Hepburn Murphy made his um. Yeah, he was. How old was he? That guy's younger, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm saying doing a podcast with you, sir. God. <laughs> You've made it. One, one of you has made it, either you or uh, Hepburn Murphy has. <laughs> Moving on to uh, Villa's next game against Bristol. I mean, Bristol uh, have played already in the first four games. Uh, the two teams that went down with us from the Premier League and lost to them both against Norwich and uh, Newcastle. Both one nil as well. Yeah, so after after winning the first two games, obviously they they wouldn't have expected to uh, have taken serious points from uh, Newcastle and Norwich. But if those two teams have beaten them, then Villa should, I think, with the Edinac in there, should really be thinking about three points away at Bristol, don't you think? Definitely, uh, especially if we do have the Edinac. We, we haven't won away from home for how many years is it now? <laughs> <laughs> so I think Bristol is the the time to start. So uh, let's move on to. Uh, our traditional closer, the five reasons to be cheerful as an Aston Villa fan. Uh, anybody got a, an opener? Uh, I think that Tony appears determined to improve us through signing decent, solid players, and I think that he's making all the right noises. He, he seems intent on, on pulling this number nine out the, yeah. out the hat, and I can't wait to see what that is. That's exciting. So that's number one. Number two? Um, I'll go for number two, and it's that I've got a flurry of new favourite Villa chants that I can uh, pull out of my locker now. It's included. <laughs> <to> sing. <laughs> There's <laughs> only one Chadlow and girl. One Chadlow and girl. That's not one of them. There's only one Chadlow and One Chadlow and girl. So just, just tell, sorry, tell the listeners uh, what your nickname was when you were 10 years old. Um. Well, basically, I started football when I was about... Seven-ish, and had long blonde hair. Borrowing my brother's Nike Legends that were about two sizes too big for me, and played up front pretty rapid. Had a headband, so it's called One Chad Angel. <laughs> <laughs> it never never fails to amaze me. So, did, were you a good good striker, by the way, Chad Low? No, not at all. That's what I play right back now. <laughs> anything. You got found out that your Alice band was just a load of bollocks. Yeah. Well, the long hair kept me back. You were more Barros than uh, Engel. <laughs> Definitely. Or Barros. Uh, right, number three. I'll, I'll venture fourth on number three, and I'll say that we're actually, I think, solid at the back now. 
I mean, you look back, let's not even talk about the uh, the mm. Cup adventure in the Cup this season, but in, in just looking at the league games, uh, bar two uh, kamikaze freak uh, goalkeeping clearance mistakes, we haven't conceded a goal. It's, it was freak mistakes rather than uh, Keystone Cops, which was encouraging. Yeah. Uh, number four? Um, I'm going to follow up from what you just said about a mistake and talk about Galini, how we mentioned him before and said that he might be hung out to draw if he were to have a bad early start. But yeah. um, I think as a 21-year-old... A prophecy has come true. <laughs> you out. Yeah, but as a 21-year-old, <laughs> I still think that he, he's very confident in himself and he, he still goes out there. Like, um, and he put in a pretty solid performance against Derby. The best thing that could happen to him was was obviously to keep a clean sheet after uh, kind of throwing that game away. So it clearly hasn't affected him too much. The fifth and final offering... August 18th. Welcome to Villa Family. Mila Jedinak. OTV. My old man said. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, mate, you villa bastards. My villa fans. Goodbye. (laughs) Hashtag OTV. Right, that'll do. I'm not finished yet. Oh, okay. G'day, villains. Welcome back to Jet and X Jungle. In the wilds of Villa Park, you'll encounter all kinds of strange creatures. There's the mythic Loradama Traore, a beast on two legs, but look with two little greedy hands as well. And what about this skip, Eric Black? Below a normal-looking exterior lurks a blue nose poison. Everything it touches turns to dust. Last seen roaming the south coast. Beware. And check out this little fella. He's a beauty. A Sherwood. High in the food chain. Scientists still don't know how he's managed to achieve its elevated status amongst mammals. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta add that. I think I'm done. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.